If you missed everything beforehand, hello. My name is Mike. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Halifax. Really glad to see you, see many visitors who are here for the baptism and membership. I'm going to ask you now to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where you'll see the text that the sermon uh, is, is going to be based on. This is in uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. As I mentioned a couple of times, this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's where the church remembers uh, the Holy Spirit being sent down on the church. The, the hope of Pentecost is that help is on the way. Help is on the way. For those who are here this morning and you feel discouraged, you feel weak in your faith, those who are really enthusiastic and want to keep on following the path of Jesus, or if you're here this morning, you don't even know what you believe, you're not sure if you believe anything, help is on the way. God's at work both to save us, that is to give us new life, lasting life, and also to sanctify us, to help us live the kinds of lives that we are created to live. You just heard eight people make vows to trust and follow Jesus, to live godly lives, to serve the church, to give themselves sacrificially for the good of others out of love. They vowed, I don't know if you noticed, to do this for life. They're in. We got them. But they, they also did so in humble reliance on the Holy Spirit. In the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he reminds this ancient church of the hope that they have. God will send help to give them everything they need for life and faith and obedience. And this is how he does it. God sends help by sending his spirit. God sends help by sending his spirit. Now, just a little bit of background before we read our passage. The Apostle Paul, he planted a church in the city of Thessalonica, which is in northern Greece, sometime in the 40s AD. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17, where you, where you read the story of it happening. Paul preached the gospel in this city, and it was received and believed by many, and they formed a church, similar to ours. Many in that city, though, didn't receive the message. They hated the message. They hated Paul, hated that he was doing this. And it got so bad, the opposition to Paul was so fierce that he was chased out of the city uh, sometime in the 40s, he was forced to flee. But Paul, persistent as he is, he sent a co-worker, sent his friend Timothy to help this young church out. After spending time with this church, Timothy returned to Paul to give a report on how they were doing to Paul. And in this letter, he wrote two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. Um, these are Paul's response to Timothy's report, where he gives thanks uh, for all that's happening to them. And today we read this letter, we listen to God speaking through this letter, uh, us here in Halifax, 2,000 years uh, later, listening to what, what God would speak to us. Let's read together from 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we pr proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning 
us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your work among us 2,000 years ago, how you took on skin and bones. You lived among us and for us. You suffered, died, and then rose again for us. Thank you that your ministry doesn't stop at your ascension, but it continues today through your spirit whom you've sent to us. Help us now to hear his voice and to be changed by his power. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever scrolled through somebody's Facebook or Instagram feed or had a conversation with someone about their lives and you left it feeling deflated. They seem to have everything going right for them. Based on their photos, their life is great. Yours, maybe not so much. Their diet, their fitness routine, it is on point. Yours is non-existent. They seem to have parenting on lockdown. You're spiraling out of control. Their education, their career, it's cruising right along. Yours feels like it's stuck or it's rolling backwards even. You feel deflated, not because you lack information on how you should be living, how you could be living, but because deep down you worry you don't have the motivation, the power, the ability, maybe the opportunities that others seem to have to live the way they are. And so you might look at that Instagram feed, that Facebook page, after leaving a conversation, all you can say is, wow, that must be great for you, but you're discouraged. This first chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians may leave you oddly with that same deflated feeling because it sounds like this church is doing awesome, right? In verses 2 and 3, Paul gives thanks to God for this church and remembers, look at verse 3, he remembers their work of love, sorry, their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness in hope. This is the classic kind of threefold image of Christian living and maturity, a life of faith, hope, and love. Christians are are called to be maturing in all three areas. If you look at chapter 6, this church not only is growing in faith, hope, and love, but they're becoming imitators of Paul, imitators of the Lord Jesus. Later in verse 7 through 10, Paul continues to brag on them. Look at verse 7. He describes them as being examples to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These are the surrounding areas uh, where Thessalonica is uh, located. Ancient Greece had uh, the province of Macedonia in the north and Achaia in the south. And so uh, the Thessalonians' influence is beginning to spread. End of verse 8. It's not just in Greece, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. The Thessalonians' faith, hope, love is an incredible witness to other churches and other people. They're rocking it. And we might read chapter 1 and just say, wow, must, must be nice for you. We might be tempted to look at our own lives, to look at maybe even our own church, and compare them and, and feel discouraged. We're not doing that well. We'd like to live better, but something, something just isn't clicking. Here's the truth. We need help. We need, we need external help. We need supernatural help. We don't just need more time, more self-control, more opportunities. We actually need motivation, power, and, and the ability to mature that we don't possess on our own. Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians to encourage us, not to discourage us, to show us how the Holy Spirit enlivens and empowers and enables us to live the lives we were made to live, lives of faith, hope, and love. And so just so you can track with the sermon this morning, this is the outline for this morning. We can live lives of faith, love, and hope 
as the Holy Spirit empowers us by the gospel. Say that again. We can live a life of faith, hope, and love. It's not just for other people. It is for us. And this is how it's done. As the Holy Spirit empowers us by the gospel. So this is part one. We can live a life of faith, hope, and love. As you see in verse 3, if you're paying attention, Paul is just gushing. This is a very positive letter. Not all of Paul's letters are this happy. Thessalonians is one of those letters. He is so proud of this young church's maturity as they grow in, in somewhat of a difficult, hostile city. He remembers in his time with them, as brief as it was, to see them begin to flourish and to grow like trees planted by streams of water. They were once dry roots. They didn't start off great. Verse 9 says they were committed to serving idols, right? They were without God. They were without hope. They didn't believe. But Paul saw a miracle of change in them. And verse 3 recalls in particular their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness and hope. He saw, he saw a radical transformation in this city. Let's just consider those three things that Paul's celebrating. First, he's celebrating their work of faith, their work of faith. Their work of faith was, was their receiving and resting in the good news about Jesus that Paul came to preach. That's why he came. They believed it. Their, 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 their faith to him, to Paul, is a miracle. He celebrates their faith. When the gospel came, if you look at the middle of verse 5, they believed the message about Jesus, it says, with full conviction. They really believed that not just that Christ died, but that he died for them. In John chapter 6, Jesus describes this work of faith. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of faith that Paul's so happy about, believing in Jesus, turning from their old paths, loyally following Christ. So Paul thanked God for this church's work of faith. Second, he celebrates their labor of love. This refers to their their life of service and selfless care for others. The Thessalonians, they seem to not only excel in faith, but also in love. In verse 9, Paul talks about their warm, loving reception of Paul and, and the other servants of the church. How when they visited Thessalonica, the Thessalonians cared for their needs. They shared generously with them. They labored, they worked hard at showing love to Paul and company. Later in, in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul also talks about their brotherly love for each other, for those within the church. Uh, this is the warm, familial affection for other Christians. They excelled in that too. In chapter 4, Paul commends them for this brotherly love. where He says, you've worked really hard at your jobs. You've earned money with an eye on sharing it with those in need. You've lived humble lives. You've walked wisely alongside non-Christians. And, and this is not in the name of personal advancement, of honoring yourself, of, of being respected and admired, but rather you've done this in the name of love, in giving yourself for the good of others. Paul thanked them for the selfless, warm, genuine labor of love. Third, their steadfastness and hope. This church endured in their faith despite what seems to be heavy opposition. They were patient. They, they didn't get, give up. In the city they were in, they faced serious hatred. They faced anger because of their faith in Christ. Remember, Paul was driven out of Thessalonica by an angry mob. And the Thessalonian, the church, the, the church that was formed there, it seemed that they too, they faced steady and hard opposition. But that didn't ruin their faith because they were steadfast in hope. They were confident that because God was with them and for them, everything would work out for them in the end. And they believed the gospel, and so they had rock-solid hope no matter what their eyes could see. Hope in the Bible is different from the way we typically speak of hope. When we speak of hope, we typically mean some sort of like a feeble uh, general wish. Like, boy, 
I sure hope things get better, but it's, it's 50-50. It's a coin flip. Hope, as Paul describes it, is a confident, focused assurance that all will be well. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And this confidence, this hope, it, it, it has cash value difference in our day-to-day lives. It's meant to. We're actually meant to look at difficulties and troubles with different eyes. Everything's colored not by kind of like typical cynicism and pessimism, but by hope. If God is for us, who can be against us? To live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the kind of hope that the Thessalonians had. It's a bit hard to say. Now, again, we might read about the Thessalonians and think, wow, how great for you. I'm so happy for you. Must be nice. But Paul writes to this church, listen, filled with people just like us, (laughs) right? Like, they have messy backgrounds just like us. They struggled with the exact same things that you struggle with. They, too, feel powerless at times to live this kind of life. And Paul says to them, he says to us, you can live this life of faith, hope, and love. How is it possible? How can we do it? We can live a life of faith, love, and hope. Second, as the Holy Spirit empowers us by the gospel. As the Holy Spirit empowers us by the gospel, we can live this kind of life. Help is on the way. Read with me verses 4 and 5. Just kind of turn to it and and take a peek. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction This is what Paul's telling them. He's telling us that a life of faith, hope, and love is possible only as the Holy Spirit empowers us through this good news, through the gospel. That's what gospel means. The gospel is is a word. It's a message, something that Paul went around preaching, that us today, we continue to pass this message on to others, that we are loved by God not because of our faith, hope, and love. We're loved not because we were lovable. In fact, God loved us when we were extremely unlovable. Jesus died for us when we were far away so that us who were far away could be brought close to him. And it's through this message, this good news of Christ dying, rising again, and rescuing a people that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live new kinds of lives. The logic of this is that that of the Puritan Matthew Henry who wrote, if you admire a a godly person, if you see their faith, hope, and love, uh, like the Thessalonians or somebody else, this is what you need to do. You need to run up the streams to the fountain, and that's God's eternal election. You have to look at the streams, faith, hope, and love, but you have to look at the fountain that it's coming from. God choosing to love us while we were still sinners, that is the fountain of godly living. Faith, hope, and love. Those are the streams that flow down from this fountain. This gospel that we preach, that we we reflect on every Sunday in multiple different ways in our songs and in our prayers is more than just a word. It's more than a message. It is power. It's power. Paul describes that in Romans 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, of the message, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If you want the fruit, uh, the delicious, sweet fruit of faith, hope, and love, you need to be rooted in the gospel. If you want the clean, cool waters of faith, hope, and love, you need the never-ending fountain of the gospel. We just had a baptism. 
where we insisted that both adults and children were not being baptized in order to show God or the church how serious we are about believing. The gospel and the posture of the whole Christian life is about receiving, not achieving. God graciously choosing to welcome us into his family. And through this, through this message of hope, of life, of love from God the Father to us, God empowers us by the Holy Spirit to live new lives. Once we know, once we can... Once the Spirit comes to us in power and activates this word in our hearts and we believe it with full conviction, deep in our bones, that we've been welcomed, we've been loved by sheer grace, only then can we live lives maturing in the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope that we see in the Thessalonians. Friends, listen, you can live this kind of life. It's offered. You might seem impossible. might seem too far. You might feel too far gone. Many of the Thessalonians felt that way too. But as you root yourself in the gospel, as you commit yourself to the fountain of the gospel, this fruit and these streams flow naturally from it. If this feels a little vague to you, if you're not sure about the now what of what I'm saying, let me give you two points of application, two ways to root this in your life, okay? Two points. This is the first. If the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to empower our faith, hope, and love, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's an application point. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day, multiple times a day. I heard that line first from the author Jerry Bridges, uh, and it's so you, you'll, you'll probably hear it from a lot of different sources. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not just talking to you right now. I'm preaching to you. It's a bit of a strange form of communication. Let's admit that. I'll, let me be the first to say it. If I were talking, to, like, at this level of my, of my voice and, like, the motions I make, you'd be like, this guy's a little strange. Maybe you already think that. But preaching is an odd activity, and yet um, it, it's, it's used by God because it's this more forceful, encouraging, uh, entreating, sometimes demanding form of conversation. And this is what you have to do to yourself every day. <laughs> You've got to convince yourself passionately, with purpose, that the gospel is true, that God's love is for real, that you must believe it and you must rest in it and you must get life from it. As one pastor puts it, this is what he says, preaching the gospel to ourselves is calling ourselves to return to Jesus daily, hourly, minute by minute, for forgiveness, cleansing, empowerment, and purpose. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is answering doubts and fears with the promises of God. Preaching to the gospel to yourself, it looks like this. In the middle of breakfast, do your sins suddenly come and condemn you? Preach to yourself. Jesus has covered them all in his blood. Preach it. Don't just say it. Say it for the people out back. When I feel discouraged because my work of faith, my labor of love, my steadfastness and hope falls short, preach it. Jesus' righteousness is counted as mine. When I stumble yet again in sin, as the world, the devil, and my own flesh conspire against me, preach it. Not even a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven, and he has promised to care for me and keep me forever. Can I, can I actually live like this? Can I really deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus? Preach it. Yes, for God is at work in me, willing and working in me for his own good pleasure. This is what it looks like to preach the gospel to yourself every day. If the Holy Spirit is pleased to use this message, this word, to empower, to enliven us to a life of faith, hope, and love, you must preach the gospel to yourself every day. This is the second application point. 
Pray for faith, hope, and love like it's your job. Pray like it's your job. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Pray alone. Pray with friends. Pray when you wake up. Pray before you go to bed. Pray before you eat. Pray while you're eating. Right? Pray and don't stop praying for a life that produces faith, hope, and love. If you look at verse 2, this is the kind of habits of prayer that Paul himself has. He gives thanks to God always for the church of the Thessalonians. He is constantly, that means continually, day and night, without ceasing, nagging God, persisting with God in prayer for their faith in the gospel, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope. Many of the times when you and I pray, it's simply uh, a problem-focused. We have problem-focused prayers. We often only pray when there's a problem close at hand. My back hurts. My neighbor's lonely. I should pray right now. That's fine. There's certainly a place for that. But the kind of prayer that I'm advocating for that I think we see modeled throughout the scriptures is a type of prayer that is engaged, proactive, and on a mission. It's our church developing a culture among us that we can't see each other without thinking, why don't we pray for a minute? Why don't we ask God for more faith? Like you can't help as you, as you host people over for a meal to engage in cheerful, prolonged prayer together. Lord, by your spirit, fill Adrian with faith to trust you. Give Sheena the love for this person that's giving her trouble. May Melody always hope in you. Paul prayed nonstop, always, constantly, because he was sure that God loves to send his people help. He loves to send his spirit to help us. And so let's pray the same way. Pray for faith, hope, and love. Ask the spirit to inflame and to empower us through the gospel. Let's, let's, let's end with this. Over the last few weeks, it's been my privilege to meet with all of these folks who entered into membership this morning. I've gotten to read through those membership vows which they made um, that you just heard a little while ago. The third vow, can you all recite it for me? I'm just kidding. You don't need to. I'm sure you were paying attention, but let me just read it to you. This is the vow that they made. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Who is sufficient? Who can, who can promise to live such a life? This is the great reminder of Pentecost. Help is on the way. You're not on your own. The Christian life is not for the 1%, for the rarest of spiritual Navy SEALs. It's for the weak. It's for people like you and I who know we can't do it on our own. And so we must look to God. We must pray and ask for help external to us. Pentecost reminds us of this. Help is on the way. Christ has sent his spirit to his people to help them live lives of faith, hope, and love. Hallelujah. This is good news. Thank God for this. But listen, as Matthew Henry advised us, we have to run up these streams always to the fountain. And that's God's eternal election. The third vow came after, of course, the first and second vow. It flowed naturally downstream from those first two, which are the never-ending fountains of the gospel, that we are actually worse sinners than we could ever think we were. And yet, in Jesus, we find a great Savior who is greater than we could ever imagine. Friends, listen, again, you can live this life of faith, hope, and love, but it's only possible as the Holy Spirit empowers you by this glorious, gracious, powerful gospel. Now may, may you all be given grace to see yourself as a sinner in God's sight, justly deserving his wrath, without hope 
except in his sovereign mercy. And may you then turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the gentle and powerful Savior of sinners. May you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to you in the gospel. May you preach the gospel to yourself every day with force, with warmth, regularly warming your heart by its fire. May you pray constantly, cheerfully, vigorously that God would bless you, bless us, his church, with growing faith, hope, and love. And may you, in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, live as becomes followers of Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are not far away, but you are close. Your spirit lives in the hearts of those you have chosen, those whom you have set your love on. Give us help, Father. Give us everything we need. Help us to, to come to you often, to remind ourselves of your deep love for us in Christ. Would you, would you bless this church? Would we enter into a season of increased faith and hope and love? We can't do this on our own. We can't will it on our own. So send your spirit now. Fill us, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.